Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, it's June 4th. Jeez. That means 48 years ago on this date, I was married in the backyard of my family home in Green Bay, Wisconsin, 48 years ago. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, guys, uh, you know, it's funny. Yesterday, I thought I was being relatively upbeat, and my God, it became clear that that's not how a lot of you were perceiving (laughs) what I was saying. (laughs) So I don't I don't have a clue about uh, what I'm going to be saying today. If it'll prove to be upbeat, I'm feeling slightly uh, more upbeat uh, today. This is after uh, watching uh, Barack Obama's uh, sponsored virtual town hall, which was at five o'clock uh, yesterday afternoon. It wasn't so much Obama. Uh, that gave me hope. It was the people who spoke after him. Um, Eric Holder is the only one I knew, but he was not, again, he was, Obama and Holder were were two old guys. It was these other, younger, black leaders that I did not know who were so, gosh, impressive, so brilliant, so I I was just blown away. Don't ask me their names. I didn't know them. One came, I think, out of the horrors of Ferguson. Another, who was just this remarkable character, is a member of the city council or county council, not sure how it works, in Minneapolis. He's young, he's black, he's queer, he's brilliant. And listening to them, I felt hope. I felt hope. The fact that there are more people breaking from Trump in some manner. Some, it's just a bunch of verbiage or posturing. But others, clearly. Polls showing him just going down. The country, I mean, overwhelmingly, does not want this man as president. That is clear. All the Republicans have going for them is the thumb on the scale that is the Electoral College. And I think that's it. And uh, the Russians and uh, what else? What else could they have? Uh, Voter suppression, all of that, because this 
country's people overwhelmingly do not want Donald Trump in the White House, a White House he has now sullied by building this huge wall around it, sealing himself off from the country he is supposed to lead. What is it with this guy and walls? So we're hearing rumblings. The Secretary of Defense, on second thought, said, "Uh, no, I do not approve of the use of my... uh, my military, not his, but he oversees it, um, to do law enforcement in the, in the United States. Trump is reportedly enraged, and of course, the Secretary of Defense, Esper, will probably uh, get canned any minute if they can find any more any more people willing to step up. Former generals who have held that position are speaking out. Christian supporters of the president are backing away, a little bit, most of them. For heaven's sakes, Joel Osteen was seen to be marching in one of the protests the other day. I don't trust any of these guys. The repulsive repellent uh, Pat Robertson uh, said uh, of of Trump's actions and statements on uh, Monday that, uh, Mr. President, that isn't cool. (laughs) Yeah. But faith leaders, the Pope has spoken out. I mean, we have faith leaders. We have uh, increasingly more and more people. God, I hate those blowers. Do you hear that? Wait, i got to close my windows. God damn it. Have you ever heard of a rake? Kids. Excuse me. I'm turning into the crabby old lady next door. Uh... Anyway, let me share some of some of that. Uh, all former presidents have been heard from. Uh, George Bush, he said uh, he was anguished. He said the doctrine and habits of racial superiority, which once nearly split our country, still threaten our union that is correct <laughs> and in fact um as i said before um it is, we didn't win that civil war and, and that was a battle as it turns out in an ongoing war in this country uh the the north may have won it but they immediately surrendered all advantage they had to the losers and so we got Jim Crow, and lynching, and domestic terror, and the KKK, and voter suppression, 
and redlining and uh, and criminal injustice that imprisoned uh, an incredible percentage of African American men. I mean, this country's treatment of its African Americans is despicable and immoral. President Jimmy Carter said, among other things, as a white male of the South, I know all too well the impact of segregation and injustice to African Americans. We need a government as good as its people. Uh huh. And he said, we are better than this. Well, that remains to be seen. And again, I say I'm feeling more hopeful because it certainly appears that Americans are repudiating this frightening president. Some of what Obama uh, said, um, this country was founded on protest. <laughs> it's called the American Revolution. Every step of progress this country has made, every expansion of freedom, every expression of our deepest ideals have been won through protest, through efforts that made the status quo uncomfortable. He said, don't think that, you know, what has happened in the last week and then some um, is something that is somehow new. It is the outcome of not just that immediate moment in time, it is a result of a long host of things, starting with slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, institutional racism. Obama did uh, challenge every mayor in the country to review the use of force policies in their police departments and to aggressively sign on to a very specific slate of police reforms a ban on certain forms of restraint um, mandatory de-escalation of conflicts and on and on and on. And here in Pittsburgh, we have, um, yes, uh, a mayor who is now openly 
asking for a third party investigation into what the heck the police in Pittsburgh did on Monday night. Because the initial statements from the police and from the mayor have certainly (laughs) proven to be incorrect. They lied. The mayor, I did not know he was lying. He was he was trusting what he was getting from the police. He ain't trusting it anymore. And you can tell he is furious. Um, I want to find something that uh, he said. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, Peduto, um yes, has directed uh, the City Office of Municipal Investigations, the Police Review Board, to conduct the uh, investigations. He is saying he would like them to work with the ACLU and the NAACP as well. Um, the reality is, is that what happened Monday night after an overwhelmingly peaceful march, um, where the police said that they were assaulted and thus responded with smoke. Well, it wasn't smoke, it was tear gas. And there's great question about whether they were assaulted in any way because there are videos. God bless these phones. There are videos. And in the videos, it certainly appears that was an unprovoked police attack. One of the videos, most damning one, was taken by a woman who lives in a an apartment building directly over Center Avenue where this happened, the Essex House. And she, hearing the, the crowd outside and seeing the mass of police, uh, got her phone out and filmed what was happening. And then she posted that film on social media. And I know I was sent it uh, very soon as well. It clearly showed that what the police said had happened had not happened. Their narrative was wrong. Now, Even more chilling is that that woman, whose name is Abigail Rubio, who shot that video, says that on Tuesday, the next morning, two plainclothes police officers came to her door 
and they told her, hey, lady, we've got video of you throwing objects from your balcony. She totally says that is a lie. They showed her a still taken from their purported video and in it she's leaning over her balcony and she has an object in her hand. It's her phone! Her video shows that protest was peaceful. Police of course, said it was not. She's quoted as saying, I have video of them blasting a girl with tear gas while she was on her knees with her hands up. Police said they didn't fire tear gas. That is definitely uh, not true. All you have to do is see the way people are responding to what is being dispersed, dispensed. Um, anyway, so after she put those videos online and the cops came to her door and accused her of throwing stuff off her balcony, they said they wanted to see, they wanted her video. Um, they also wanted her identification. Well, uh, she said, I'm, I'm getting this from the, from the Post-Gazette reporting. Uh, she said the police repeatedly told her they wanted to come into her apartment so they didn't embarrass her in front of her neighbors. And she refused to let them in. They also asked for ID of the friend that had been there with her woman named Natalie Lewis, who also was filming. She refused them, and she says that the officers said, we'll be back, we'll be back with a warrant, and we will kick down your door. She immediately called the uh, police review board and a lawyer. Um, so here we have, uh, Pittsburgh police probably lying about their actions, their overreactions against peaceful protesters, and then their attempt to intimidate somebody who had evidence of their overreaction. And thank God, we've got a mayor who ain't happy. And he wants a serious probe of what the heck happened Monday night. I mean, what I don't understand, if cops, this whole thing is because of police brutality. And that results in protests. And then the police resort to more police brutality? What is it they don't get? 
the police culture, and this is something that those young people that were talking with Barack Obama yesterday were saying, we have to literally rethink how we police in this country. It doesn't have to be like it is. And it certainly doesn't have to have this militaristic aspect that it has taken on in recent years. We have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hey, Lynn. Hi. It's Mike in D.C. Hi, Mike. So you set me up perfectly. But first, I want to say something about that story of the woman at her door with the police. I was Mm -hmm. screaming as you're telling the story. Tell them to get a search warrant. Tell them to get a search warrant. Because they're not going to get a search warrant. No, they're there not. They won't be back. Cause. Right. That's right. They won't be back. Um, but the reason I called was because I listened to a podcast yesterday called Pod Save America. And they had a police expert on at the end of it saying, well, what can be done? You know, there's the, the um, union that really, by the way, isn't a union. It's, um, uh, it's because they don't care about benefits, you know, or retirement leave or any of that. They just care about protecting um, force. So they're really a lobbying force, but whatever. So the interviewers are asking them a question, what can be done, what can be done? And he said a whole bunch of things. And mainly to separate the physical aspects of the police job, meaning when you need a gun and when you need to provide a public service. And the guy on the TV, I should have got his name, the guy on the podcast said 10% of the policeman's job requires a gun or a billy club or, or force. 90% requires them to say, um, let me see your driver's license, pull the car over, exchange, you know, exchange driver's license information. 90% of what they do does not require a gun. So he said, in an ideal world, we'll defund the police department so that they'll be forced to let go a large portion of the guys in battle gear, and they'll be forced to hire more meter maids, excuse the gender-specific term. Mm -hmm. And that would change this for one reason, because there'd be less people, men, less men with guns out there trying to prove that they're a man. Yeah. And he has, this guy has a website called, I want to say it for everybody, um, um, useofforce.org and um, he goes through statistics about states that have that chokehold and states that don't and states that don't have it have a lower rate of police um, violence against them all kinds of stuff and there is a way out of this well it has to be there really has to be uh, a total upending of police culture as it exists in this country. And that's a, that's a tough task. And I have to tell you, and Obama was really uh, talked about this uh, yesterday, that if we don't understand that the way we have to get at this is pay a lot of attention to the people at the local level who have such a huge impact on, on police and enforcement, and that is who we elect as mayors, who are on our city council, most importantly, who is the district attorney. And here in this area, this absurd thing with all these district judge- justices who 
have incredible autonomy in setting bail. Um, and by the way, the protesters here, Mike, who have been taken um, into custody, um, you know, were then sent off to various district justices to be arraigned. And the Post-Gazette reports on the unbelievable uh, difference in how some of those justices uh, said, well, there's no bail required here. I'm, I'm, you know, they, they didn't have arrest records, prior arrest records. They were only, um, they were uh, arrested for failing to disperse. And so the, uh, some justices said, yeah, okay, I'll release you on your own recognizance or a nominal something, uh, cash bail. And others set bail at like $10,000. That is how you get a jail that is filled to the rafters. This is all this justice system makes no sense and doesn't lead to justice or equality in justice. It is ludicrous. But it's up to us to pay attention all those activists who care so much about, you know, uh, congressional races and the presidential races, they've got to come, you know, pull back and let's take over the, the, the bailiwicks that we live in. This is, that is where government has the most impact on our lives. The district attorney, the mayor, the councils, the school board. And we're still not doing that. Democrats don't do that. I'm sorry. Well, the mayor of Los Angeles is doing it. He announced I saw 10 he's hours defunded. ago. Yes, he's def- uh-huh. starting he's to defund them by $1.8 million. Yeah. Billion dollars. Billion. Yeah. That cannot help but have an effect on people being let go, who's going to be let go, the people with the, you know what I mean? That can't help but have a positive effect. Well, some of the people, these amazing young um, leaders that I saw with Obama, they were calling for exactly this kind of, this kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Defund them. They don't need they all we do is throw money at them and and, you know, and 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 military uh, hardware at them. And, you know, Obama tried to, you know, stop that transfer of all this surplus defense stuff to police departments all over the country. And he did manage to put a bit of a hold on it, reduce, reduce it. And of course, when Trump came in, out that went, and back came the the unbelievable tanks and weapons that are meant for warfare to be used by police. Even little dinky police departments have some of this crap to use. Why? For what? On America? You no, know, come on, you know, yeah. because and also because they money like money off of that. Oh uh, yeah, somebody but also makes they money like, off of that. They like to play. Right. It's it's like boys with toys. This is but, this is but it's fun. why it's Andy a- Griffith but it's why Andy Griffith made Barney Fife keep his bullet in his pocket. 
because Barney Fife can't be trusted, right? And Andy Griffin knew that, right? And instead, and all these cops think they're Andy Griffin when they're really Barney Fife. But now with instead of a one bullet in their pocket, right? They have all of this gear that gives them oh, the illusion man. that they are the boss. Yeah. 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 Well, we've got to figure out how to do psychological testing so we weed out these uh, bully boys who want badges. Um, we, ha- I, I don't know. We got to almost scrap the whole damn thing and start over. Yep. And if you take their money away, they will have to. Well, they will have to. They will have to if you take the money away. Yeah, but we and, need a change um, in we need a change in the culture. Because even if they have less money, if the culture's still there, if the us against them uh mentality is still there, if if the uh so called good cops continue to fail to report and take on the bad cops, we ain't going to get anywhere. But it's still back to that risk reduction. If there are 100,000 policemen in Pittsburgh, I have no, many, I have no idea how many they are, and all of a sudden that goes from 100,000 to 25,000, that's 75 less bullies and blowhards walking around with a gun who think they own the joint. Here's another thing. Americans think that they're living in a crime-infested country. They think crime yeah. is up. They live in fear. It's bull. We have a total reduction in crime in most cities in the country. And here we have media to blame. And also, one of these people um, with Obama yesterday was talking about, and we have our culture to blame because all the TV shows and the movies that we see give us a certain picture of what police are and how they behave. And it is a militaristic uh, picture. And, and, and it also shows um, too many black people being on the receiving end of that force. So there's all kinds of um, talk of working with uh, screenwriters and stuff. I mean, huge things have to be done because we've, America's been brainwashed. Right. And that's a big pet peeve of mine, too, is that people will say, I have to lock my door and have a gun in my house because (laughs) of of armed robbery. Nobody wants your shit. Nobody wants your used 10-year-old TV. Nobody wants your anything because you can buy it on Amazon for nearly nothing. No one's making money robbing houses. Nobody wants your stuff. I don't always lock my door. And someone said to me, aren't you locking the door? I was like, if they want to go in there and take my stuff, go at it. I'll just get new stuff. Like nobody wants your used crap. You're not that important. I don't know why people feel they have to be so afraid. I mean, I, I just, I couldn't live that way. I couldn't live in this state of constant fear that people with all the locks on their doors and security systems and, and now these ring doorbells and camp security camps. What the fuck? Do they think? Where do they think they're living? The Not danger to, mention, to them, right? Your... Yeah, you know Sorry, what? Yes. The danger to them is is in um, in the White House. 
Jeez. And not to mention, and not to mention, if someone steals your package from Amazon, they'll send you another one, yeah. and they'll figure out who that person is. No, I mean, all these nobody people, wants yeah. your stuff. No, and all these uh, doorbelly and camera stuff, and I know a lot of people who have them. Um, I'm sorry. They are now helping police uh, to surveil constantly. Um, right. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live like that. Don't be part of it. Jeez. And a friend of mine at McMurray has one, and he checks it. It isn't that he just has it that bothers me. It's he, that he looks checks to see all the time. Yeah. He looks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He looks. So whenever I go to his house, I stand there with the middle finger up. <laughs> and then I go go in the house, right? Well, you know, if I see so, a sign that says this house has ring doorbell or of this that, I always flip the finger too. <laughs> if I'm just movement. walking by the on the sidewalk, you know, I'm walking the dog and I see that, you know, we're we have security, we have this, we have that. I always, I always flip them off because give me a break, right? Jeez. And I'm really grateful my neighbors across the street don't have one, right? Because <laughs> it isn't just their door they're watching. It's my yeah, door. It's, yeah, there's nothing, I know. There's you know, nefarious going on, but yeah, uh, I want the police to have a record of who comes in yeah, and out of my house. Exactly, and they will. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Okay. Keep up the Bye. 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 Um, I think we have another caller. Go ahead, please. Oh, hi, it's me. Hi. Am I on? <laughs> yes, you're on. You're on. Okay. You know what I wanted to point out? This is a big beef of mine. It's like relatives who live in the suburbs. I live in the city who come in. And oh, like I have an older aunt please. who still uses one of those clubs. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're in the city. And I'm like, this has gone on for decades as they've come to my house. And I'm trying to tell them, like, that's really not needed. But they live out in the North Hills, and, and, you know, people that grow up out in that environment, and they do have crime out there, but I've had to point out to them, you know, that's not black people coming into your neighborhood. No. That's drugs. That's, I'm sorry, that's your white high school kids, college kids, but there is a drug problem. So where the real crime is anymore is the drug culture. Which is well, and if you look at where and school shootings, anything, where school know? shootings happen, they don't happen in in uh, in major cities. Exactly. Those are happening in small towns, White rural suburbia. areas, yeah. and suburban schools. So yeah, the, but they've been brainwashed. They black people, and it's like it's That's your it own too. people, it's your own yeah. kids that are the yeah. problem. That's all yeah. I want to say. Okay. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. God, but there's nothing you can do. I mean, if you're, I had friends tell me that they were afraid to drive through Wilkinsburg now. Why? I said, what? Why? Because they're seeing angry black people, I guess. I don't know. My God. Oh. Um. Somebody stole Ryan Dito's bike, little Tony's telling me. I didn't know that. While he was covering a protest. Oh, gosh. Someone took his bike. Oh. And I mean, he uses that bike. That's how he gets around. Darn. Well, maybe I got to buy Ryan a bike. 
Um, okay, I want to get off all of this. Uh, Roger told me um, that after my uplifting show yesterday, his wife has hidden all sharp objects uh, from him, um, you know, between 10 and 11 especially. So don't worry, Roger. I'm going to, no, I'm heading off. I want to note the, the passing of um, of uh, a guy named Johnny Majors. I Normally, I, you know, who, whatever. He's, he was a football coach, for those of you who don't know. He was a coach at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, he was much loved, and he also um, was there and led Pitt to a uh, – to a national title. Um, I, I have a story I have to tell about Johnny Majors. And, and, and by the way, um, I, I am seeing, um, so many people talk about what a, what a fine human being, um, he was, what a good guy. And, and I had one interaction with him and I, I want to tell you about it because it's one of those moments where, you know, well, two things happened. One was, well, I'm sitting at a rock concert at what stadium was that? I think it was PNC Park. Somebody help me here. It was a Rolling Stones concert. My son was with me. He must have been about seven or eight. So that would place it in about 19, maybe 2000 or 1999. I don't know. So around in there, whenever the Stones were here. And I had paid top dollar to get seats on the field really close to the stage because I thought, ah, you don't do this once and give my kid a, you know, a memory and blah, blah, blah. So I did that. And I'm sitting there uh, before the Stones came on. And uh, my son is on one side of me and this older man is, is um, on the other side. And I, he, had, he was there with some family members. I, I looked at him, his profile a few times. I thought, God, I know this guy. I know I know this guy. Who is this guy? And then I decided, I, I know who this is. It's Porky Chedwick. Now, for those who don't know, Porky Chedwick was a famous rock and roll DJ here in Pittsburgh before my time. And I finally worked up the courage to turn to Porky and say, hey, hi, <laughs> Porky. Um, Lynn Cullen, and, you know, let me, gave him my hand. Can you imagine? Remember those days? He gave him my hand, and he looked startled, and he said, oh, yeah, Lynn. He said, what would you call me? And I said, Porky? <laughs> He said, and he starts laughing. So he is laughing, and he turns to his family and says, she thinks I'm Porky Chedwick, and they start howling. Obviously, I'm 
realize uh, I have made an error. This clearly is not Porky Chadwick. And he looks at me when he finally got control and said, Lynn, I'm Johnny Majors. And I thought, oh, my God. And we shook hands again. And I apologized. He's much better looking than Porky Chadwick. And apologized. And then we started talking. And man, did we have a fun conversation. And he said to me, you know, I always appreciated your voice. I said, you did? You mean you even listened to him? He said, I, not always, he said, but I was very aware of you. And I really appreciate your take. I said, you do? And he looked at me and he said, what? He said, you think all football coaches are right wingers? That's what he said. I thought, oh, my God, I love this guy. And we had so much fun. We were maybe two of the oldest people there. <laughs> I don't know. That wouldn't be true at a Stones concert. But there he was. So I, all through that wonderful concert, I sat next to Johnny Majors, who I called Porky Chadwick. And, um, oh, man. So I had one encounter with him, and it was delightful. It was Delightful, <laughs> if embarrassing. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, also, uh, another thing I find heartening is these statues coming down. They all need to come down. All these statues uh, of making heroes of the traitors of the Confederacy have got to come down. Down. All of them. Can you imagine if you're a black person and you're living in a country that continues to glorify the people who fought to keep your people in chains? dehumanized, enslaved. And every day you walk around in cities in which those people are glorified. What does that say to any black person in this country? What does it say? It tells them the truth, doesn't it? They got to come down. I love Frank Rizzo getting pulled down in in Philadelphia. And for those of you who don't remember him, he was the police chief for a while. Then he became the mayor. He was evil and cruel and racist as hell. Take it down. I think we have another caller. Go ahead, caller. Hello? Hello? Caller, you there? Apparently not. Not sure about that. Little Tony says, Lynn, I can understand people having these ring doorbells, people who have had several packages stolen from the front door. I myself do not have one or a similar device. Fine. But you know what? Again, 
it's an overreaction that has incredible consequences. Better to lose a package or two and have to get it back and, you know, whatever trouble that takes than become part of literally a surveillance system that will note every person who comes in and out of every house when they come in and out of every house is that you want to live in a police that's what a police state is i'm i'm sick of it i'm sick of every time i hear a helicopter now i feel i feel frightened and when i see a cop now i feel frightened So how's this how's this working for uh, the police? Are they going to feel safer now? Hmm? Jeez. Um. Yes, and of course the Confederate uh, flag. Um. I don't know what you're sending me here. I'm sorry. Um. Yeah, we've got to, we, we, we've just got to stop. We've got to stop. I'm going to try one more time. Caller, go ahead, please. Caller? Hello? Okay, um, Amy, I don't know what's happening. Okay, just let's leave it. Let's not take calls. Somebody's messing with me. Um, I have two things that I I sort of want to wing by you, if you don't mind. I found myself uh, talking to my siblings and my mom uh, last night, and I I said, um, you know, I can't believe I'm at a point where I'm actually – thinking uh, that it might take the the U.S. military to save us, the very military that Trump wants to subdue us, bring us to heel. Um, And seeing the clear uh, discomfort um, among so many uh, in the military and and current and former generals, you had finally uh, Jim Mattis, who was what Trump's first uh, uh, defense secretary. Remember? Oh yeah, I love this. These are my generals. Remember when he first came? He was so besotted with um, the, all the you know the generals and the regalia and the and the uniforms and you know and military parades. He loved it because it it was about you know. That he now controlled, and so when he started out, man, there were generals left and right. You remember? Scared me. But some people said, "No, these generals are uh, adults in the room, and they're going to sort of keep a hand on them." That turned out to be wishful thinking. Can't even name them all. Mad Dog Mattis. 
H.R. McMaster. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, John Kelly. <laughs> Mattis has now spoken out. A little late, I'd say, but at least he's spoken out. And as I said earlier, Esper made a little uh, feint of uh, disagreeing with uh, the the president, and now he'll he'll bear the uh, the barrage of rage. Um, Somebody writing in the uh, New York Times today uh, talking about this issue. Can we hope, if push comes to shove, that the military will say to the commander-in-chief, no? Now, that's a rough one because... um, you know, the tradition among military is you carry out your orders. But this is a very unprecedented situation because we have a commander-in-chief now that does not respect or even comprehend the law and our Constitution. And so is quite capable of giving illegal and a service member can refuse to carry out an order if they deem it to be um, illegal it's a courageous thing to do but I gotta tell you as I think I said this yesterday 40 plus percent of our active duty military are people of color. Why would they help this racist president subvert our democracy? I'll give you the last paragraph of this written by um, a guy who's served on the National Security Council and also is a professor at the U.S. Naval War College. His name is Jonathan Stevenson. He says this, we may be close to the moment at which active duty service members need to consider disciplined disobedience. American democracy depends in part on the ingrained commitment of its armed forces to civilian control. But as more and more military leaders, including now publicly two of General Milley's, that's the head of the Joint Chiefs, two of his predecessors are coming to recognize the risk has increased substantially that a president, this president, will abuse his power to subvert the very democracy he is meant to uphold. There may yet be hope that our military will decline, refuse to facilitate Trump's dangerous overreach.
Yeah. Okay, and now I have two things more on a scientific front um, and taking us away from uh, protests and viruses and and all of that, not necessarily going to make you happy, but I, we can't, you know, not try to keep attention on our world. This, uh, this one thing, I, I'm just, it, it surprised me. So I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing this information with you because I did not know this. You know, as we look, uh, you know, for a vaccine. Um, and that is a global uh, effort, obviously. Um, you know who's endangered from our need right now for a vaccine? <laughs> I, this is so odd, I can't even... Okay, sit down. Atlantic horseshoe crabs. What the heck? What an Atlantic horseshoe crab. I'm looking at a picture of one of these little critters. What would this little what would this little critter have to do with a vaccine? And the headline says it all. The tests that vaccines have to go through depend on one essential ingredient, the blood of the horseshoe crab. Now, I got to tell you, that just makes me go nuts. Because I think, first of all, who the heck ever thought, hey, I'm going to take some blood out of this particular creature. There'd be a horseshoe crab there. And I am going to see if it would uh, work in helping me test whether an injectable medicine is good or bad. God. So it turns out that for a long, long time, drug companies have depended on, they're dependent on horseshoe crab blood to test vaccines other injectable medicines for dangerous bacterial contaminants that are called endotoxins, okay? This requires a lot of crab blood. And there are conservationists that are trying, that have now national horseshoe crab sanctuaries. But there is a way to do it by creating essentially a um, alternative to the crab. It's like uh, to the crab blood. It is, um, it is essentially creating the same kind of uh, chem chemical, chemistry that is in the crab blood you can do it in a in a laboratory and 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 create you know a a product that doesn't require 
the blood. It's a synthetic. That's a word I was looking for. It's a synthetic equivalent. And I guess there was great hope that we were heading, and it exists. But just the other day, the people that, I guess, sign off on this kind of stuff in the United States said that they did not feel that this um, alternative was tested enough itself. And so we're going to need them horseshoe crabs to bleed. And the demand has grown, I mean, by you can imagine, because of testing of all these new vaccines, uh, billions of vaccine doses would eventually require this kind of testing. Every dose. And one of the people who feels this is nuts, by the way, the Europeans, by the way, the Europeans have totally approved, whoever approve and use the alternative. Us? Nah, we're never, you know, those Europeans, they just, I don't know, are they nuts or something? No, we're, we're going to continue to kill these poor horseshoe crabs. Um, I don't know, just wanted to say. And one uh, person who heads um, one of these conservation groups is just beside himself. He says, this is crazy that we're going to rely on a wild animal extract during a global pandemic caused by, right, wild animal extract. It's just part and parcel of what we, we do, our misuse of life on this planet. All right, and then I have this, which is um, which is upsetting. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you this in advance, but we got to know about this, okay? Um, this is from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Scientists. The extinction rate among terrestrial vertebrate species, well, that'd be us and a whole lot of other animals we know. The extinction rate, according to the National Academy of Sciences, is much higher than prior estimates. And the critical window for preventing mass loss will probably close within 10 years. Um, here's some other information. We are eroding the capabilities of the planet to maintain human life and life in general. 
We know of 543 species that have been lost over the last 100 years. And looking at species lost throughout human history, it would before have taken 10,000 years to lose 543 species. We now do it in 100. In other words, every year over the last century, every year over this last century, the world lost the same number of species it typically took 100 years. And we're talking about populations of animals that are down to maybe just 250, fewer than 1,000 in the entire world. And here's what we humans just can't get through our heads. The loss of some of these glorious life forms. Now, these are, again, very close to us because they're vertebrate land, landed vertebrates. Okay? Each loss triggers a domino effect that sends other species into a downward spiral and ultimately threatening entire ecosystems. This one researcher says, look, it's, it's like removing bricks from the wall of a house, okay? If you take one brick out, nothing much happens. Maybe it just becomes a little noisier and more humid inside, whatever. But if you keep removing bricks, eventually your house is going to collapse. So the population declines of honeybees, of top predators, of large-bodied herbivores like rhinoceroses, of, uh, and the bees, of course, pollinators, these, they have large effects on the way ecosystems function. And scientists will tell you that there is, there's no question, there is, in fact, scientific certainty that the survival of these species is linked to our own survival. There's this, they, there's this incredible aside. We know the passenger pigeon, right, is extinct. They once numbered in the billions. And it is only recently that we, they've been gone now for about 100 years. And the fact that they are gone has led to us getting Lyme disease. I'm not, I, you know, what? What? Well, I mean, it gets complicated, but they ate tons of seeds. 
which limited then the population growth of other seed-eating species because passenger pigeons were eating up a ton of it, and so you didn't have as many other of these critters, including white-footed mice. And since the passenger pigeon has gone extinct, the number of white-footed mice has gone sky high. And it is they who are the natural reservoir for the bacterium that causes Lyme disease. So after the passenger pigeons were destroyed, white-footed mice populations exploded and the risks to human health increased. And as we continue to encroach on nature and on wildlife, there will be these cascading series of impacts, including more pandemics, including new diseases. This pandemic is a great example of how badly we have treated nature. And when enough species are gone and ecosystems are failing, economies will be destabilized, governments will be destabilized, there will be famine, there will be refugee crises. And what are we doing? Habitat loss and wildlife trade are currently responsible for much of the trouble. We got to stop. We're killing everything and we'll kill ourselves. We've got to stop the deforestation. Here's what any scientist would tell you. The most fundamental problem is reducing the scale of human enterprise. It's our impact, especially humans' consumption and its demands on the biosphere. One scientist says, all of us need to understand that what we do in the next five to ten years will define the future of humanity. Now, Roger, you can go looking for sharp objects in the house. And I know for people who say, why do you always have anything? We need to know to take it in, to understand. We have to stop whistling past the graveyard. We've got to step up and have the courage to see what we are responsible for and what we need to change. We need to get so involved, each and every one of us.
I'm just saying. Uh, okay. Here's the COVID update for the day. Um, uh-oh. That looks like a pretty big jump in deaths. Why is that? I thought it was 159 last time I looked. It's 165. I mean, that's a big jump, but it's, yeah. Okay, whatever. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's hard to keep your head focused on all the stuff that's happening, but um, <laughs> while we worry about our very democracy and our very lives, um, there's so much going on. We've got to pay attention. Okay. I'm sorry if I depressed anybody, but I don't know. We got to be grown-ups. Okay. Um, I'll see you in three more days, and God knows what that will bring. Okay. I'm sorry. I really am. God love you. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.